Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Tuesday, September 1st, 2021. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. I am proud, again, to uh, commend to you the October issue of Commentary, now available for your reading pleasure at www.commentary.org. One of the best issues uh, we've ever done. Um, neat, compact, full of brilliant articles. Brett Stevens, Eli Lake, Jonathan Shanzer, our own Christine Rosen, Mayor Soloveitchik, Terry Teachout, our own Abe Greenwald on Ben Shapiro's book, The Authoritarian Moment, Adam White on the Texas abortion bill, Uh, Rob Long on the Nielsen rating system, Jim Meggs on renewable uh, energy and why we've spent 40 years looking at it in the wrong way, and Matt Contnetti, as we talked about yesterday, on the subject of Biden, the incompetent. Uh, Biden will speak uh, after we finish taping the podcast. Biden will be speaking at the UN General Assembly attempting to uh, turn the public attention in foreign policy terms away from the uh, Afghanistan debacle to uh, something else. Noah, I want to I want to I want to commend to you uh, your contempt yesterday. I want to sort of praise you for the contempt you showed yesterday about all the concerns and worries about the French, the French and their bad feeling about the uh, submarine deal. Uh, There is a great column today by Walter Russell Mead in the Wall Street Journal that sort of echoes Noah's point about like, this is exactly what we should be doing if we want to be serious about China. We want to shore up, firm up, and make resolute our relations uh, in in the Pacific uh, with the uh, powers nearest to China to make it clear to China that we are not going to stand for their adventurism um, and that we are going to take steps against it. So, uh, so that was great, and uh, and. I'm happy that we went there uh, when we went there yesterday because I was veering off in the other direction and your two-minute soliloquy completely changed my perspective and Walter's column today uh, reinforces that. So at least the Biden administration did something good. Apparently this is more about domestic politics for Macron who is uh, in a high-stakes re-election bid. All right. Okay, so... um, so Biden's going to go, we can't talk about what he's going to say because we don't know what he's going to say. It isn't going to matter. It's going to matter what he says. So the world apparently is just thrilled and happy that, you know, uh, Donald Trump is gone and that uh, Biden is there, except, of course, that um, uh, there are, you know, disasters all over the place. That, uh, that Well, that's we, actually, <clears throat> I mean, you can expect that the, you know, very effete, uh, internationalist, liberal, you know, order types would would welcome, you know, just anybody but Trump. But I don't know. I don't know if that's the reception he's going to receive, given the last eight months of American behavior on the world stage. I, I, 
I wouldn't be so sure if he's going to be as as warmly received. I mean, we won't remember a word he says. Do you remember a single United Nations General Assembly speech by any world leader, with the exception perhaps of uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and his uh, you know props? Other than that, like a, without a visual element, I don't actually remember any of them. But you do remember the reactions, the reactions from the assembled world leaders, and I, I I would be I would not be surprised if he received a cooler reception than I think they're prepared for in the White House. Well, I mean, certainly not going to receive like the Obama 2009 reception, right? When when it was like the risen Christ had crossed, you know, over a pool of water to, you know, to hand loaves and fishes to the assembled and then soon thereafter won a Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, that's not going to happen again. They, you know, uh, and what's more, who cares? Like, uh, that, talk about a poison chalice. Like, if you want an ovation from those people, you are looking in the wrong place. This is the organization that we know is astoundingly corrupt that has as its, um, uh, you know, on its human rights council, the worst human rights offenders that, um, you know, has stolen trillions of dollars, that runs refugee camps, uh, that are basically uh, rape and... Um, sexual trafficking pits uh that has immiserated uh the um uh, the gazan palestinians now for going on to 75 years uh and kept them in you know in generations of uh repugnant conditions in a in a in an area that is you know has been deemed a refugee camp for Four generations and and like that. So uh, the the UN uh, is a disgraceful organization, and the world leaders that go there are kowtowing to disgrace. And so, get get a nice reception. Wonderful, but be Please be prepared me. because the people who care are in the American media. They love this, and if Biden gets anything but uh, a protest and a walkout, there will be all sorts of stories about. This this is the this is what thank God I've never felt better about uh, you know my decision for supporting Biden. This is what we want to see American leaders be like on the world stage. Uh, the, the, you could you could almost feel the world breathing a sigh of relief after Trump, and this especially after the debacle of Afghanistan. They're going to need this as a kind of international win. Right. PR can we, okay. Can we talk about the media and how and 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 it's it's sort of gut, almost unconscious instinct to play blocking tackle, even for an administration that it seems to be increasingly skeptical of. Uh, I am referring now to the story that erupted yesterday and that I noted led the morning newscasts on the morning shows today, Good Morning America and CBS This Morning, which is the uh, the crisis in, in Texas uh, with the um, 15,000 Haitian migrants uh, wandering up from South America having gotten to Central America and South America from Haiti, now deciding they want to come into the United States. And these couple of photos of border patrolmen on horses uh, with whips, supposedly whipping migrants. Um, this is horrifying. Uh, Jen Psaki, the press secretary, said, this isn't us. I, I heard her say it. This is not us. This is not us. This is not who we are. Well, first of all, if it's happening, if what she is claiming by saying this is not us 
is is a is a, a proper depiction. These photographs depict what is going on in documentary terms. It is us, so it's ridiculous to say it's not us. We have officials of the U.S. government doing this, and therefore it's us. So uh, it may not be her, but you know, you know, it's us. Um, secondly, the rush to judgment on the basis of two photographs, the ability to say this is not us when she has no idea what's going on, what the photographs are depicting. If you know, we we know from uh, anyone who has Apple Photos that you hold down the button and you take 275 pictures and who knows what's going on in that picture. I could have been one of the middle pictures in a, in a burst uh, where the guy is swinging something and it looks like it's hitting the guy, but it's not hitting the guy. And it's one picture and it's a couple of border patrolmen uh, who are in an overwhelmed situation in which the Biden administration itself says we got to get all these people, put them on planes and get them back where they came from. They have literally no right and no reason to be seeking asylum here. They have no claim of realistic claim of persecution. They've already been relocated to places to get them out of Haiti. They can't come in here. That's by that's the Biden administration. That's the vaunted, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so basically the press has now moved into some bizarre place where they are attacking the border patrolmen who are being overwhelmed and they are being seconded and they are and they are supporting the white house that is seeming to divorce itself from the from the enforcers of the law that it itself you know that it has somehow placed into this horrible position by sending out these messages that you can now come to the us border and sneak in it's almost worse than that because the initial <clears throat> reaction from the knee-jerk uh, progressive left on Twitter was that these were, you know, 19th century stereotypes of, uh, you know, uh, crackers, you know, people who you know, cracked the whip on these people. They were using whips to whip these people and herd them and corral them into, you know, uh, areas where they could be policed. Um, and that was utterly false. This, we, these weren't that. They were not whips. And so now the press is, is working its way into creating synonyms for whips because these were bridles. They were just, you know, reins on a horse. Um, and so now we have from places like TMZ, whip-like devices. And Reuters has a whip-like cord. They're whip-adjacent. They're not <laughs> actually whips. They're just, they kind of resemble them. And so that has to make its way into the headline rather than issue the correction because this is wrong. It's an factual misstatement. And they're clinging to the error in order to advance a White House narrative, which is entirely uh, bizarre because it is the executive branch running down executive agencies in a, in a knee-jerk fashion that is both factually inaccurate and deleterious to the political standing of the executive branch. It's like they, they've just become this sort of stereotypical reactionary uh, you know, hysterics that populate Twitter, which is exactly what this president was supposed to not be when he campaigned for the White House successfully uh, as, as a more measured figure. They also, uh, there was a vice reporter that even whitewashed the race of the Border Patrol agent calling him white when he is in fact, as the majority of these agents along the southern border are of Hispanic origin. So I, 
if you've never ridden a horse, you can be forgiven for sort of glancing at that image and going, oh, it looks like he has a whip. I've seen a couple Westerns. He's whipping that guy. No, it's a, it, as, as, as Noah pointed out, it's, it's horse tack. There's a lot of different you know, things on a horse that you need in order to control the horse. For the Biden administration, which has under its aegis an agency where the agents do ride horses on the regular, that's, that's their transportation for doing their job, for them to, to, suddenly turn them other them, as the sociologists would say, and sort of embrace this narrative is, is bad enough. But it comes within the context of them having denied these agents the respect that they have deserved since he since Biden took office. There has been a crisis at our border for months now. The administration has ignored it. The press has ignored it. The only people reporting on it tend to be conservative or right-wing media. And these border patrol agents have effectively been gaslit by their boss for months. And now they're being held up as horrible, racist, you know, Django Unchained type, you know, monsters. It is, it's despicable. I want to make a broader point, really, because this reminded me of an episode involving the uh, the police-related shooting of Makia Bryant. So this was this minor <clears throat> girl, but a very uh, stocky figure, who um, was chasing after one of her, you know, teenage acquaintances with a knife, and a police officer responded and shot her because she was lunging with a deadly instrument at this other child. And the narrative that picked up on the press uh, on the on the Twitter left rather from, you know, very high profile Democrats was that uh, this, you know, was a, a, basically a murder, cold-blooded murder of a child. And that was echoed by um, Jen Psaki, uh, who, you know, in order to advance this narrative that police are, uh, you know, just maliciously executing black Americans in the street, you know, said that this was just another example of it, even though it was contradicted by the evidence of your own eyes. Now, this is obviously false. And but what what did they get out of it? I don't understand the strategy, because what they're doing is giving their own people, their own allies license to be pessimistic about institutions, about the institutions that are not directly under control of the executive branch, but nevertheless, institutions that are reflective of the United States of America and that they're supposed to feel good about with Joe Biden in control. And they're actively, you know, reducing their ability to feel good about the United States under Joe Biden, because because why? I don't understand. Okay, I have a possible explanation for you. And it comes from my friend Mark Halperin in his uh, essential newsletter, Wide World of News, which he does every day. Uh, as he often does, he has written a um, facetious memo to Biden from Ron Klain dated today that I think helps explain, this is an effort to get inside, obviously, the White House Chief of Staff's mindset, and uh, he knows more about these people and their lives and has interviewed them for decades. And so I want to uh, read you from this fake Klain memo to Biden. Um, here is what, what he's, here's, here's the passage that I wanted to read to you, uh, because this is actually about the crisis we're about to talk about in the house about the infrastructure bill and the reconciliation bill and the debt ceiling and, uh, all of that. Okay. So here's what he has claimed facetiously saying to Biden, we haven't started trying to whip votes for real infrastructure yet, and neither has the speaker. We still don't really know how many progressives we will lose on Monday or how many Republican votes we can get to replace what we lose on the left. The gang of 500, that is the chattering class of Washington, that's the term that Halpern uses, says you need a win given your poll numbers in Afghanistan, etc. But the problem with infrastructure is twofold. 
We don't know if we can pass it, and we don't know if passing it will actually be a win, given what it will do to our relationships on the left. And what this column that Mark has written does is it explains that Biden's problem is we think he needs a win, but he is worried that if there is a meltdown among progressive support in the that he is desperately trying to hold together the progressives it's all about the base as he says here um meaning when they attack the cop in the twin cities for what happened with Makia Bryant when they attack a border patrolman for uh, trying to deal with an overwhelmed situation using a bridle and and allowing themselves to believe that it is a whip, what they are doing is responding to uh, your, here's as he says, the problem with Biden leads, with the Biden needs a win narrative is that our, our pollster keeps telling us your slumping job approval ratings will go even lower if we alienate the base. Your Nantucket pal Megan Trainer isn't always 100% right, but currently it is indeed all about that base, at least when it comes to keeping your poll numbers from free fall. So you have to look at this as base fan service. They got the Border Patrol. They got bad pictures from the Border Patrol. And this is their way of winking at the progressive, you know, uh, there should be no borders and you know, Trump had kids in cages and it's Nazi Germany all over again and saying, we're not them, we're not them. Remember, whoever we are, whatever we are, whatever we do, we're not them. You need to like us. We're all on the same team. And that, I think, is the answer that we were struggling for yesterday when we were trying to figure out what, like, you know, I, I kept saying Biden needs a win. He needs a win. He needs a win. And they're like, it's something worse than a win. Halpern is saying that if he gets a win on the hard infrastructure bill, but not on the soft infrastructure bill, this could have the effect of destroying his popularity with the Democratic base. That is or that is what he says they think in the White House. I think that's astute. At the same time, I think the what we're talking about specifically here with the imagery from the from the border um goes beyond the progressive base. I think uh, if you're anywhere on the, on the, on the liberal side of the, of, of the spectrum at this point, your ability <clears throat> to contextualize images like those that, that have uh, come out of the, the, the border crisis um, is at zero. I, 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 think, I think there's a larger issue. It's not just the base that he needs to hold on to when it comes to stuff like this. I think when it comes to things like law enforcement, border patrol, uh, it's kind of okay if you're a liberal that those things exist, depending on who you are, but they should never be enforced. It's, it's when, when God help you, if you're ca- caught enforcing the law, um, that is an automatic problem. And, and I, and I think that, that, uh, for a, any democratic leader at this point, um, to be publicly supportive of of the enforcement of the law, watching it happen, 
um, is is going to present a problem. But Abe, okay. you made a rhetorical distinction that John did not, or, or Halpern did not. You said the progressive base. Halpern said the democratic base. These two things are distinct, and this is the White House's behavior is so at odds with the White House's with the the Biden administration's campaign and its understanding that the Democratic base and the progressive base were not only distinct, but that one was marginal enough that you could afford to antagonize it to a certain degree. A little bit. To a certain degree, but to a degree that also has benefits in the form of that you will get rewards from the much larger population of actual Democratic voters. And that theory of the electorate has just been discarded uh, in in ways that I think this White House will eventually regret. Because they were right. They were right. That calculation was spectacularly successful. And they've abandoned it. But on ICE in particular and Border Patrol in particular, there's long been some tension on the left, both for the Democratic base, broadly speaking, and the progressive left. So the squad types have been on the abolish ICE train for a long time, right? That was the AOC, very performative visit to the border when Trump was president, all that, which, of course, hasn't been repeated now that now that uh, Biden is in office. But there is I, I think that there's a vast middle, which in, certainly includes uh, voters in the Democratic base, but also independent and moderate Republicans who after months of seeing pictures on the border and only Kamala Harris supposedly dispatched to, f- to, to solve the root problems of this crisis, who aren't going to be aren't going to have that knee jerk squad like progressive overreaction to seeing enforcement. I think what they look at and see is like, this is a mess. And the people who told us that they would fix this mess are not doing their job. And that's Biden, not the agency. Okay, so th- this supports, I'm going to uh, cite you something that is very much in support of what Noah just said. It is a poll from the Dallas Morning News and the University of Texas at Tyler, uh, taken over the weekend, I think, um, according to which 54% of Latino voters in Texas disapprove of Biden's job while only 35% approve in Texas. Now compare that to black voters in Texas, 77% approve, 12% disapprove. White voters, 33% approve, 60% disapprove. I'm citing this because this is this gigantic question. Is AOC you know, uh, from Queens, a more representative figure among Americans of Spanish-speaking descent, shall we say, than the ordinary voter in Texas where the border crisis is going on. That number and those little bits of detail about, say, the shifts on in the border counties in Texas, which are tiny, in, in 2020, they're tiny, like, you know, six or 7,000 people vote, voted in those races, but where the vote switch shifted 40% in Trump's direction, right? Hillary won them by 60, and then Trump won them by 60 or whatever. Uh, and of course, South Florida, which we know about, where um, there is this perception that the Latino vote is a hardcore Democratic progressive constituency. And so when Biden says these border patrolmen, you know, are when Jen Psaki says this isn't who we are, this nice Hispanic border patrolman is not who we are. 
maybe Hispanics in Texas are looking at this or Latinos are looking at this and saying, yeah, that, that is who we are and you are not who we are. And that goes to Noah's point about what they are reading. Who are, to whom are they speaking? And I, I, you know, this is our great conundrum. Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> According to all this reporting, and it's not, nobody says it outright, but they imply it very strongly that the, the chief ally of, of the progressive left in the White House is Ron Klain. Ron Klain's their guy. Um, they, they wanted to avoid the kind of centrism represented by Rahm Emanuel of all people. Um, so Ron Klain, that's their, that's their point person. And we know he, you know, as chief of staff, he has obviously quite a significant amount of power, but also a fair amount of influence on the messaging strategy. And he spends a ton of time on Twitter. So maybe it's only as simple as the fact that Ron Klain is a knee jerk progressive lefty who reacts, uh, as progressive lefties do on Twitter without a full understanding of events and applying heuristics rooted in 19th century American racial tropes to every event. And that's that's how we're that's how they're navigating every crisis. That they just simply can't see the forest for the trees and don't really care to. They'd much rather enjoy this this narrative, even if it comes at the expense of the uh, White House's standing with its own people. Well, that's Occam's razor, isn't it? It's right there, which is take them at their word. You know, don't go into complicated. Oh, they must be looking at polling, and they must be this, and they must be that. Ron Klain. Uh, both sees his role as the progressive whisperer and is himself completely captured by that mindset. And and, and has a president who seems kind of distracted a lot. There's not a detail, doesn't seem to be a detail-oriented guy, right? Well, he's a detail-oriented guy in which he's going to say, I want this solved by Saturday, <laughs> October 4th, right? I mean, Right, that's, but he's, that's, he's that's amenable to the whispers yeah. is what I would suggest. <laughs> right. Well, give him an ice cream cone. You can whisper in his ear. He's fine. Um, or something like that. I mean, I do think that um, we want to apply. I mean, here's the thing. There are two Bidens. There is the Biden of the, and I think this is where Noah's going with this. There's the Biden of the campaign where in ways that a uh, few people saw but that I will immodestly say I saw he began and spent 9 months threading a needle uh while everybody else was being an idiot maybe with the exception of Amy Klobuchar who just couldn't get breakthrough but he was threading a needle he was being the non-progressive candidate who was not saying things that were offensive to progressives, but making it clear that he was not them. And he threaded this needle, had a couple of weeks of trouble because he ran into the buzzsaw of the actual progressives in Iowa and New Hampshire who made his life problematic. And then the minute he was out of that fishbowl, the progressive fishbowl. He just won the race in 10 seconds with no difficulty whatsoever, right? It was the minute he won South Carolina, it was over. That was the race. He became president. It was one of the most brilliant political strategies we have ever seen. But just because you win a nomination 
and a, and 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 then you know get yourself into the presidency doesn't mean that your management of the executive branch or the incredibly complicated politics of having a tiny minority majority in the house are going to follow therefrom but also <clears throat> you can thread the needle when you're campaigning because it's essentially all rhetorical so you can ease away from this side you can ease away from that side you don't have to commit to really anything um, you just have to say things that please enough people, you know, sort of all around. Um, in office, you have to come down on one side or another. You have to make a choice. And it's essentially a binary choice. And and right. and, so, and he went left. I mean, I'll give you an example of a good in this realm of a thing that he did that he is now following through on as a campaign promise that is now going to be corrupted and stained by what's been going on now. They announced yesterday that he is going to raise the limit of acceptable, you know, immigration numbers. However, I, I don't even know what the status number is. Trump had lowered it to 15,000 a year. He's bringing it up to 125,000 a year, right? Trump had lowered it at some point, you know, it had been 65,000. Then, then, you know, he and his, um, he and his uh, uh, lunatic anti-immigration nutcases, you know, decided that, a you know, a country of 330 million people couldn't possibly tolerate 15,000 legal immigrants. He is bringing the number up to 125,000. That is rational. That is, you know, totally, uh, by the way, this is exclusive of emergency situations like Afghanistan uh, and maybe even some of the people on the border, you know, coming from Haiti or whatever. This is a different number. And um, and it's a campaign promise he is fulfilling. And what's more, it is popular. And now, having announced it while this is going on, he has now poisoned it. Because the thing is going to be, there are all these people who are just coming in. You're letting them come into this country, and then they're going to disappear. And you're letting in, you are allowing the proper legal process to proceed with legal immigration and they're he's kind of making Trump and the and the restrictionist case for them that he well, is too irresponsible even to get that number up, and that's the legitimate pursuit and fulfillment of a campaign promise, which is what we want from politicians. We don't want them to not fulfill their campaign promises because how on earth are we going to know what they're going to do for when they get into office? They they also announced yesterday that they're going to lift the travel ban on Europeans coming coming to the US um if they can prove that they were vaccinated and again the timing of this is ridiculous because as we see these images of you know thousands of people pouring across the border some of whom are being put on you know family units are are not being sent back they're being processed and and released into the United States and when Jen Psaki was asked in yesterday's press briefing are they being tested for covid she or and checked for vaccination her answer was effectively nope nope because they don't stay very long was what she said which is you know patently ridiculous compared to european travelers who are coming for a brief visit to for work or to visit family members who live stateside so this whole idea again there's another way in which the message a, a good message and a long overdue lifting of a travel ban on on european countries was overshadowed by this weird uh you know imagery where they they seem to think that we believe they're concerned about covid but how can we believe that if, if that's the answer to the question about people coming across the border okay well we'll talk a little more about covid but first i want to talk to you about Bolin branch uh Bolin branch knows high quality sleep doesn't stop at your mattress they're ultra soft organic sheets are transparently sourced and produced in safe air conditions you'll feel a difference and know you're making one 
And look, Bull and Branch started with a mission. They wanted to produce the highest quality sheets on the market and make the world a better place in the process. And today, they're still the best choice for anyone who wants comfort that lasts. Their signature hem sheets are beloved bestsellers for a good reason. Buttery soft, lightweight, and a 100% organic cotton sateen weave. Perfect for all seasons in a variety of colors and all sizes from twin to California king. And they are made to a higher standard with toxin-free processes and fair trade certification to ensure workers are paid fair living wages. Founded in 2014 by husband and wife Scott and Missy Tannen, Bull and Branch all came down to a choice to do what's right. Founded to give more sleepers more choices for high-quality sheets at a fair price and continuously building a fairer and better supply chain. Bull and Branch partners with family-owned businesses that align with the same values and standards. They're pledging to Dumble U.S. Assembly jobs this year. So to experience the best sheets you've ever felt, choose Bull and Branch. You can try them worry-free for 30 nights with free shipping and returns. And our listeners get an exclusive 15% off their first set of sheets with promo code commentary at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com, promo code commentary. So there's a... Can I just, I'm sorry, one more thing I want to add in terms of the weird mixed messaging the Biden administration. So we talked about the drone strike that killed 10 innocent Afghans um, and the fact that there's seemingly no disciplinary action being taken for anyone in the administration for that that terrible decision. On the other hand, DHS has already announced that it's going to investigate and, and, you know, punish border agents who are using whips when we know that they're not whips. So again, like it's a very inconsistent... um, application of their supposed, you know, uh, governance and responsibility ethic. Okay, so let's let's move on to uh, there's a lot of COVID news and it's weird. It's there's there's a lot first of all there's for some of us and I have an 11-year-old like uh, the news yesterday is fantastic Pfizer has now demonstrated uh, that um, they have found an appropriate dose uh, for uh, kids 5 to, I think it's 5 to 11 um, and uh, and uh, for the vaccine uh, and expect uh, are seeking uh, an emergency authorization approval for uh, for the that shot, which I hope to get in my son's arm, you know, as 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 soon as possible. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Johnson and Johnson, as Abe noted, reported that its vaccine. Uh, two doses of its vaccine, which is famously the one-dose vaccine, uh, have the same efficacy as a single dose of uh, as 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 Pfizer and uh, Moderna. Uh, when we had been told that this famous single-dose use of of Johnson and Johnson had a much lower efficacy, but was still a great thing to take because it was one shot, it didn't have to be refrigerated, and all of this. Abe, you had an interesting observation about what this news, you know, if you think about it for 30 seconds or there'll be a debate about it for 30 seconds, what it suggests or what the metastructure of this news suggests. Well, it struck me as another one of those instances where, you know, you listen to the experts. I remember when when the when the three vaccines were all first out and there was this idea that don't fret about which one you get. They're all good. If you get the Johnson Johnson, it's good. It's like, well, yeah, it's good, but it's now we know half the dose. So it was good. Yeah, it's not great. No. It's not great. So it's like you know, it's like buying it's like buying a cheap suit. 
right? I mean, you buy a cheap suit, you can you can go to Orchard Street. No, and no, buy no, 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 no. It was like oh, no. buying the, the jacket without the pants <laughs> and calling it a suit. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it used to be you bought cheap clothes. It was like they look good, they they feel good, they're good, but like sit down and the and 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 the seam tears, right? Yeah. That that's. But I mean, yeah, we can make tailoring. We can make Jewish tailor jokes all day long uh, in relation to this. Um, but so it's another like, you know, why, why should we listen to these people? You know, they're 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 saying that a half a dose is as good as I'd be happy with any with any any anyone any shot I got. Can I also okay. add that there's yeah. it, it contributes to the skepticism and, and sort of conspiracy theorizing about vaccination in communities that are still the holdouts. And, and so in D.C., all the pop ups and sort of mobile vaccination sites that were sponsored by the city and in, in um, predominantly African-American neighborhoods east of the river in particular were always the Johnson and Johnson shot. It was like, come get this one shot and you're done. You'll be protected. It's great. Come do this. We'll give you a beer or a shot of something. I mean, there were all these. And to her credit, the, the mayor was really trying to get these communities vaccinated. So now this news comes out and they're going to the ones who did get the shot are going to feel like they were suckered. And the ones who didn't will say, see, we told you so. Even that shot didn't work. It's it's bad. It's bad for right. for. We've heard quite a lot of logic from people close to people who are close to the FDA made the decision to avoid recommending these booster shots, but none of it is clinical. The logic is we don't want to reduce supply for, for export because we need to vaccinate the world. We don't want to change the regime around which individuals are believed to be fully vaccinated because there are mandates now around this. And to do that would be to upend the, the mandate structures, both private and public. All of it is about administration. It's managerial. It has nothing to do with the efficacy of these vaccines and their boosts. And they don't think this is going to have any effect on public psychology around this sort of thing. It's it's blinkered. I mean, so here's the thing. So according to all the relevant data, the two shots versus the one shot, Pfizer and Moderna, two shots. Johnson Johnson one shot. Most of the efficacy comes from the first shot. That that is what the data all suggested. You hit seventy five percent efficacy or something with the first shot. Now there is all there are all these weird questions, right? It's like maybe Moderna's longer lasting and a better shot that was a better system than Pfizer because you got it four weeks after the first shot and the second shot instead of three weeks. And because the Moderna people got it four weeks after the first shot, in fact, the booster effect was much more pronounced and gave and allowed a longer lasting set of antibodies or something. This is the reason that Israel decided to go for the third shot nationwide, which is that they had followed the Pfizer system shot then three weeks later second shot they had a delta wave they decided okay everyone's getting the third booster um we don't to this day know why pfizer was three weeks and moderna was four weeks we don't know any of this it's probably not for us to know we're not epidemiologists we're not longitudinal you know collectors of data we haven't run blind trial we don't know nothing right but because we are doing this as a worldwide social experiment that is that that is countrywide 
or continent-wide or something like that, the transparency that we are somehow still being denied, and I, I think it is understandable why you don't just throw all this stuff out there, aside from the fact that these are, you know, um, patent-protected things and they have all of that. Um, generally speaking, you do it because you don't want people reading things and misunderstanding verbs, right? Misunderstanding a verb that's used in a medical terminology that sounds like you're saying that it's bad or something's bad, but that's not what it means or something like that. The technical language is hard to translate into ordinary language. And so just having it out there for people to understand when they can't possibly understand it can create more problems than it solves. But I'm just not sure in this case uh, that that hasn't been a colossal mistake, that Pfizer and Moderna and BioNTech and Johnson & Johnson shouldn't have themselves been giving press conferences every day, that the amount of public salesmanship of the virtues of their vaccine were somehow left to public officials and not to the companies that were that were producing them, who are actually the ones who did the trials, who are actually the ones who, you know, are on the line if something goes wrong or something like that. I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's a, we find ourselves in a weird situation. Um, and well, remember the Johnson, yeah, go ahead. Well, Nathan, this sorry. has also been exacerbated by, this, this is another um, Biden screw up here that of a, of a very particular type, um, which is, you know, as something Noah's brought up, time and again, he always sets these arbitrary timelines uh, to get things done. And he does it to to um, create the veneer of responsibility and sort of having everything under control and seriousness. So we are supposed to be in uh, the start of a week where we're getting booster shots now, according to the president. That was that was that was his big. He got way out ahead of the whole booster question in the U.S. and and said, we're going to start getting booster shots in uh on the 20th um and then you have fda this fda panel coming out and saying well there's not enough data here we don't know and putting the brakes on the whole thing and that the muddle that that created uh in the minds of those who are saying you know i don't if, if even if you're not a crazy conspiracist but you're saying you know they, the, the public health officials and politicians talk about these these kinds of things with a degree of certainty that I just don't buy. And then when you have people contradicting the president on this very question, they go, "See, why, 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 why should we, why should we blindly take their word that the boosters are good, the boosters are necessary? There are experts who know much more than I do who say we don't know yet." But that's actually that last bit is very important because the people challenging Biden's timeline are the scientists and Biden's the one who said we right. should we are following the science. So it really does add a level right. of confusion that doesn't need to be there. Well, let's add another level of confusion. OK, so the so the boosters have been approved for people 65 and older. Right. I mean, that is that is that is what the panel said on the grounds, I gather, that um, the risk reward calculation calculus is that uh, the help that it can provide to people over 65 is worth whatever they consider the possible risk is of having an excessive amount of vaccine in in your system, let's say. And that uh, the risk for people under 65 is not sufficient 
to uh, require or say everyone should get a booster. What is the magic of the age of 65? It's a demographic category. It's not like you're 64 and 364 days old, and then you hit 65, which is when you can get Social Security or something like that, and then suddenly your immune system is so much more compromised than you were three weeks earlier that you really need to get a booster shot. It doesn't follow or compute logically. So if you were, you know, if you are going to say that uh, it is necessary to have a booster shot or it's good to have a booster shot, then saying, but not you, not you guys under this age, that's not good. Them, it's good. You, it's not good. Them, good, that's good. That's not the way our minds work. I can sort of understand the, the philosophical category that says, look, you might die anyway, so get, get a booster shot. I don't really know what it is, but it doesn't read and they're not explaining it and they don't explain it because every time they explain it, they make it worse. And then we don't know if what Noah says is right, that they are making this decision not based on hard data that suggests that there are risks from the third booster shot, but because they are making public health calculations about supply and worldwide supply that are not in their writ. And policy regarding, and policy which regarding. I think to me is the most uh, <clears throat> justifiable concern insofar as it's justifiable at all, that now you have public sector mandates, which you shouldn't have ever had. Uh, we always said that there would be a disaster, and this is why. Because now you have a status that means you're fully vaccinated. And we can't change that status, even if the clinical data suggests it's not the right status. Well, we don't even know. I mean, that's the whole point, is that is that we, we had the incredible and inestimable value of having Israel as this Petri dish case of efficacy, of, of viral efficacy, right, of, of vaccine efficacy. Um, entire country it got Pfizer early, you know, did this, they saw these great results and then they were hit with Delta. Britain was hit with Delta. Um, Britain in a way that we haven't even really talked about totally shifted policy three weeks ago, right? It said, we've done everything we can do. A lot of people are vaccinated. Granted, their vaccination numbers are significantly higher than ours. They got eighty-one uh, on 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 the uh, you know on the on the uh, on the aisle on the you know on the on the aisle of England. Like uh, it's eighty-one percent vaccinated, and we're not we're not near there yet. But they were like, okay, we're done. This is it. Can't go on like this anymore. We're going to live with COVID. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, that's on you. We're going on, theaters are reopening, everything is reopening. We're not testing, you know, schools are reopening. It's enough already. Um, And uh, it seems to be fine. Now, maybe that is just a matter of time. In other words, they got Delta before we did. It burned through them, and now it's over. We see these signs. We're now, I think it's now two weeks. We hit the, the case number the terrible case number growth ended, I think, two weeks ago, 
every day, according to the New York Times, we are 8% lower than we were 14 days earlier, and so on, even though the death toll is still rising horribly. Um, we just, Biden is now, by the way, having, you know, I don't even know where they are in any of this. He made a speech two weeks ago, and then he went off, you know, and had an ice cream cone and rode his bicycle and, you know, did, did whatever and talked about whatever. I mean, I don't, help me out here because, you know, this is still the single dominant issue in American domestic politics. Well, it's not the goddamn hard, in, in, soft infrastructure bill. That is Washington's deep concern. That is not America's deep concern. But in the absence of effective messaging from the administration and a and unified messaging from its scientists in the administration, that confusion has has led to all the questioning that we see among people on social media and whatnot. And, and it's understandable confusion. And I think the UK is a really good example. They're also not masking their two-year-olds. The kids are going to school without masks on. They have they have adopted a realistic uh, way of living with an endemic virus, no longer a pandemic virus. And, and it's going to be here. It's going to recur. We can't have 100 percent, you know, uh, protection against it. So we have to learn to live with the very British way of doing things. And we could learn a lot from adopting that attitude and tone, if not all the policy measures. But I think here this is going to be a huge issue in the next few weeks with the approved whether whether the uh, vaccination is approved for the kids, because parents are going to have to have some reassurance that they can have autonomy here. This is not like vaccination for older adults or all adults. The five to 11 year old range of kids in terms of the risk of serious consequences and illness from COVID is very different for that group. We know that. Thank God we've said that all along. So whether or not we're going to get signals from this administration and from public health officials about whether that should be optional or whether there should be a discussion with one's pediatrician before just saying, yes, everyone should get vaccinated. That's something people need guidance and want guidance on because most people are getting signals. We are getting signals if you care to listen to them. There's this great little clip that's making the rounds on um, right wing social media outlets. Um, the features, I believe it's some, it's the state department, but I'm not hundred percent sure. It's a spokesperson for one of the executive agencies and he's behind stage and the camera can see him behind stage and you see him putting his mask on and he goes out to the podium and takes his mask off to suggest that he had always been wearing the mask, but he wasn't because everybody knows when you're fully vaccinated, you don't need the thing. Hate to tell you. And a social equilibrium would evolve around that naturally in the absence of these sort of mixed messages that we're getting from people. It would be individual personal considerations about your level of risk tolerance. That's the sort of thing that's being constantly interrupted by the administration's intervention into that natural evolutionary process that it's, and you can see it in the hinterlands, it's forming, you know, in, on its own, but in, in, in major urban centers where there's more density, there's much more regulation involved, there's much more policing of it. So it's, it's not something that can happen naturally, but we all see it. We all watch these cultural events in which nobody's masked, but the staff, we all see the administration behaving one way publicly and another way privately. If you're interested in any of that and internalizing what that means and not using your own heuristics and your own, you know, uh, you know, uh, predispositions and imposing that on everybody else, then you get the message. The message is cloud and clear. Okay, I want to get back to why this is particularly maddening. But before I do that, I want to talk to you about Super Beats Heart 
choose. Tasty treats that give you the energy you need and are good for you. Because, you know, as we age, the fatigue and lack of endurance we feel can always be fixed with more and more caffeine. Superbeats Heart Chews means no more afternoon coffees, energy drinks, or candy for a quick pick-me-up. You add two delicious plant-based Superbeats Heart Chews to your morning routine. You promote heart-healthy energy for your day without a caffeine crash. Because Superbeats Heart Chews unique clinically researched grape seed extract promotes heart-healthy energy and normal blood pressure as part of a healthy lifestyle, it's the treat for you. The grapeseed extract used in Superbeats Heart Chews has been clinically shown to be two times as effective in supporting normal blood pressure as a healthy lifestyle alone. So do more for your heart and treat yourself with Superbeats Heart Chews. Join over 1 million customers, get free shipping and returns, a 90-day money-back guarantee. And right now, you can get a free 30-day supply with your first purchase at superbeats.com slash commentary. That's superbeats, S-U-P-E-R-B-E-E-T-S dot com slash commentary. Okay, here's what's maddening to me. Uh, San Francisco Mayor London Breed, right, asked why she was photographed uh, dancing and uh, wassailing. Uh, I guess it was at a wedding. Said the spirit moved her. No, jazz club. Jazz, no, club. jazz club. Very crowded Very cl- jazz club. Uh, no okay. one wearing masks okay. in the so jazz club. Found cultural event. Yeah. So the spirit moved her. And, uh, and it's a religious uh, defense, John. It's a reli- so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we all experience Tony, Tony, Tony differently. Let's okay. Here's judge. my. Okay. So let's put it this way. I don't. I don't care that London Breed took her mask off. I assume she's double vaccinated, and I'm fine with that. I go on Twitter. I see Garans Franke Ruta, uh, uh, you know, a significant sort of liberal voice at the in Washington circles, having a fit as she's going off to off to Italy, I guess, or something like that, because she's at Kennedy Airport and not enough people are wearing masks. And she writes to Delta on Twitter and she says, why aren't people wearing masks? And Delta says, oh, no, I'm so sorry. What gate are you at? You know, has this responsive system. I mean, I'm really worried. I mean, where are people? Okay, on the plane, people wearing masks, all this. Why isn't she having a cow about London breed? Why aren't those people? Why isn't Mark Levine, the sort of hysteric now coming in Manhattan borough president who masks shames all over the place and talks about DeSantis and whatever, why aren't they yelling about that or Gretchen Whitmer or Gavin Newsom? Why is it the right, the right that was willing to live with COVID and was willing to sort of, you know, take risks with COVID and all of that? All we're doing is making a hypocrisy case. They're the ones who are supposed to think that this is a tantamount to murder. And that's where I that's where I start developing a degree of contempt. I'm surprised that I feel. Because I don't, I understand that people are as I, I, neurotic, vaccine terrified. They're worried about the disease. They're over worried about the. They're more worried about the disease than they should be. You know, they're vaccinated. They should be fine, or something like that. But um, the selective shaming thing is very significant because it matters that the mayor of San Francisco isn't wearing a mask. It doesn't matter to me, but it's supposed to matter to them. Yeah, because this is not about vaccination. It's about class. Uh, uh, Batya Unger Sargon has a great book on this. And now I, I am a very you know, prof- profoundly committed opponent of class consciousness, which I think is generally toxic and 
harmful to you and your loved ones and you should avoid it. Um, but they're not. All these people are highly class conscious and they're very much aware of their own status and the status of those around them. And that's when it was very revealing when a New York Times reporter described Barack Obama's birthday party as being populated with a, quote, sophisticated, fully vaccinated crowd. It wasn't about their vaccination status. It was about their class. Well, well, and the they Emmys, don't care about the Emmys. Well, but the Emmys were interesting thing. because the Emmys defense was there was a special exception made because extra precautions were taken for this cultural event. But that wasn't true either because the low, the underlings who work the Emmys, the people who work for minimum wage who make the Emmys run, were all masked, just like all and of them. And they the, have to go through the same process. Exactly. The same and with the the Met Gala, the, the imagery there was the double whammy because you had the the underlings holding up the train of AOC's tax the rich dress right masked she, so they, they're, they they're masked she's not <laughs> so i've kind of gone through these processes to a certain degree um and they're pretty onerous it's you know it's testing before it's rapid testing on site you're not allowed to get in without being tested and showing you're fully vaccinated you're tested you're vaccinated you're masked it's really onerous so yeah once you get into that building you feel a hundred percent secure that no one around you has had even remote contact with anything resembling COVID, um, which was you know gives you a, a lot of license to to behave in ways that Mayor London Breed behaved. The spirit moved her; she didn't feel she was in any danger whatsoever, and she's not. They're right. They just don't think that you're smart enough, or capable enough, or competent enough to navigate your environment like they do. Well, and it's galling because those of us who had a couple months of freedom in in the cities where we live, when there wasn't a max, mask mandate for people who were fully vaccinated, and have now had to put our masks back on again, it, they, I do have a very different attitude at it. I begrudge every single time I have to put that mask on now because if you look at the vaccination rates and you look at you know the risk. It's, it's really not necessary. I'll do it because I have to do it, but I don't like it. And before I did it because I felt like it was the responsible thing to do. Now, okay. given that, plus the hypocrisy levels, it doesn't feel responsible. I kind of start feeling like a sucker. According to the Centers for Disease Control, as of this morning, among Americans 18 and up, 77% of us have had at least one dose and 66% are fully vaccinated. Among Americans 12 and up, that number is 75% one dose, 64% fully vaccinated. I cite these numbers to say that most Americans are getting vaccinated. Vast majorities of Americans are getting vaccinated. And more important, they are not denying their kids the shot. If they're getting the shot, their kids are getting the shot. 77% 18 and up, 75% 12 and up. There is almost no difference there, right? People are getting vaccinated. By the time we are, you know, we reach the end of September, four-fifths of the United States will have had at least one dose. And it's possible that we will reach Three quarters of Americans fully vaccinated by the end of this month. Okay? So who are these people forcing everybody else to wear masks? It's happening. It's worked. Biden, in order to save his presidency from his disgraceful behavior in Afghanistan, 
doubles down on being a mask um, uh, fanatic and a and a and as David Leonhardt says in a very good piece today this morning, the thing that saves everybody that can save everybody, which is all over Europe, is a home antigen test. You have a little cold, you feel a tickle in the back of your neck, you lick on it, you lick on a piece of paper, and it tells you whether or not you 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 have COVID. It's ninety five percent accurate, and you stay home. And we here in the United States do not have this test. Michael Mina of Harvard has been talking about this for eighteen months. Yeah, but I'm skeptical that this is just more bargaining, more bargaining with people who won't be bargained with. Um, they will not negotiate. They do not no, want no, a way. They no, do no, not want no, a no, way. I'm not talking about them. I don't care about them. Forget. We're not bargaining with anybody. Here's what I'm saying. You want your two-year-olds, you want two-year-olds, five-year-olds to wear masks, right? It's very simple. Before they walk out of the house to go to school in the morning, they lick on the piece of paper. It suggests that they might have COVID and they stay home and they don't go into the school building. Yeah, but John, how do you prove that? Why, why wouldn't they just lie? Couldn't they be lying? Why wouldn't, you know, you can't really that's be sure about anybody why else's status. They aren't, that's not why these tests have not been approved. These no, I'm saying that's the rationale that will lead to the, to the uh, you know, the, the people who will sit, hear that logic and say, well, you know, but we can't, we can't. That's just the honor system. There's no defined scientifically based metric for when the masking should end. That's what I like in my locality. I don't know. When will DC stop requiring masks indoors? Who knows? When yeah, Mayor Bowser not, just wakes up one morning and feels like it? That's not how you govern. Because <laughs> it's if not, it's not, it has no clinical bearing. It's not that it has no clinical bearing. It's not that it's just not the most effective clinical intervention here when vaccinations are. So what is it? It's a status symbol. It demonstrates your status to the outside world. There's no end date on that. It's a uniform. And a uniform is a cultural, com- culturally compulsory. It's the little black dress for a houseworker. It's torn jeans for a laborer. It's the sort of thing that demonstrates where you are in the ladder of society. And that's why it's not going away because it has nothing to do with this virus. I think it's not going away because uh, Biden is doing a terrible job as president and he keeps making the wrong decisions that might expand in a weird way like Trump. Decisions that might expand his base so that he wouldn't have to to return to Mark Halpern's channeling of Ron Klain so that he might not have to rely on his base, but in fact change the nature of his support over time to make him a successful and popular president. But he does not know how to do that. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. For Abe, Noah, and Christine, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.